after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you are taking, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and whether you are growing or shrinking in your faith is up to you. It's work that you have to put in. It's not something you can pay someone else to do. It's nope. not someone, something that you can order out for, nope. something you can stream to your brain. Nope. It's hard work, and we're here <laughs> at the Salty Pastor Podcast. But the be, most rewarding work you'll is. ever do. We are here at the Salty Pastor Gym, where you can get <laughs> swole in your face. Bump by you learning, up. Bump you up by learning critical <laughs> thinking skills that help you know what you believe and why you believe it. My name is Jess Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with you here this Christmas season. We just appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast, and we hope that it really does inspire you and bring you hope and courage, but strength, because it's out of strength. It's out of uh, that sense of uh, wellspring of life and joy in your soul, a fullness that gives you confidence, gives you courage, and helps you navigate just all the crazy stuff that's going on in this world. And so that's what the Salty Pastor is all about, to give you the tools and the critical thinking skills in order for you to know what you believe and, and to have a depth of belief, a strength of foundation. So very excited that you're with us this Christmas season. It's a wonderful time of the year to celebrate all that God has blessed us with. And we are in our series, Come Home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it is quite the series, very exciting, um, talking all about why we need to come home to our spiritual home with Christ and yes. the reason for the season. And speaking of the reason for the season, <laughs> we are hosting seven Christmas Eve services here seven. at Foothills Christian Church here in Boise uh, on December 24th. Three yes. of them will be on campus okay, and available for you to attend in person. Otherwise, the rest will be online. Online, okay. Um, and those are at 2, 3.30, and 5. And then we have additional viewings online after that so, so the ones on campus are 2 3 30 and 5 correct 2 right. 3 30 and 5 hopefully you're going to be there pastor because yes my understanding is you're preaching so. yes i'll be there and please invite your friends it's always a wonderful celebration absolutely so let's move on to why we're here today okay in talking about coming home for christmas what part of the christmas event reveals this idea that God wants us to come home. Like what, what yeah. part of that? We talked last week about how Mary and yeah. Joseph had to go to his ancestral home. Yes. And that's where he was born. But what part of the Christmas story is, is God's invitation for us to come home? Yeah. Well, we're going to jump over to chapter two of Matthew. We were in chapter two of Luke uh, last week. And this week we're going to talk about Matthew chapter two. And it's really interesting because this is the events after the birth of Christ. So we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit, beginning with verse 1. Let me read some of the scripture to you. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quote from Micah chapter 5, and this is what it says. So verse you're, doing six. A, you're doing a quote inception. This is quoting from Matthew. Yes. And they are quoting from Micah. And they are quoting from Micah. Yeah, okay. Matthew is quoting from Micah, and I am reading Matthew. Okay. But it says, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, here's what's really amazing to me in this situation, okay? This, this really pulls back to this whole notion of an invitation to come home. And not everybody wants to check out the invitation, Sometimes people get really comfortable with the life they've carved out for themselves. They feel like, hey, I don't need anything. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, I was talking to this guy, and he said, you know why I'm not a Christian? And I said, well, why aren't you a Christian? And he says, because I don't need saving. Mm. You know, I save myself. And I went, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I wonder if he'll hold that throughout his entire life. Um, here, here's what I find so amazing is that Herod calls together the chief priests, teachers of the law, all of these guys, they know the prophet Micah has prophesied that the Messiah will show up in Bethlehem. Mm. Magi from the east, and you'll see later on from Herod and other people, I mean, all of Jerusalem's bothered by this because these guys coming to town is a big deal. They're highly respected, and they say the king of the Jews has been born. And guess what? No one goes down there and says, hey, let's check it out. <laughs> You know, I mean, today, out. I know you can Uber from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem in 45 minutes. So it's like, why don't we, you know, pack up our camel or just go for a walk for, you know, it's probably three or four hour walk down there and just check it out. This is what the prophets have prophesied. We know this. We have these people coming up. Everybody's in a stir. And yet no one takes the time to just simply walk down to Bethlehem to check it out. They don't want the invitation to come home. They're not interested in finding the Messiah. They're interested in maintaining what they have carved out for themselves already. I find that fascinating. So, I mean, these spiritual leaders of the Jewish people knew all about the Messiah. Yes. This is a prophecy 100%. that had been hit over and over and over and over and over yes. again in the Old Testament, which they were all super familiar with. Um, about yeah. this coming Messiah. Like yeah. it was this thing that they were supposed to be waiting for. And they constantly referenced yes. and said, Hey, this is happening. And they're under oppression an, of yeah. Roman rule. And in their head, the Messiah was supposed to come save them, save them from, from that. that, right? Like yeah. that was what their interpretation was, was yeah. there was going to be this conquering King that comes home and, and saves us all from Roman rule. And yeah. so they have all of these signs that, Hey, he's born. He's here. Yeah. He's, here and they didn't take the the trip yeah to it's to a go day trip bro it's a day trip and they didn't do it they go down in the morning be back by supper time but they didn't do it isn't that interesting that is interesting but yeah. we do read that herod took an interest in this oh right? he was very interested in it there, yes he had a strong belief that the the star that appeared was important, right? That it yeah. proclaimed that there was this king that could potentially yeah. overthrow them. 
was coming. And so he takes the strong interest, right? Yeah, they, these weren't nutty conspiracy theorists with tinfoil on their head showing up going, hey, these people were highly respected magi, men of the, who were learned from the East, which is very respectful. They show up and they say, they, they say, we have been watching the stars. Stargazing, star watching was a highly developed science at that time. You see, that was one of the primary ways in which they navigated. They knew a lot. They had all the constellations. All the constellations had meaning. So this was a science that was well-developed and well-respected. And they show up and they say, something big is going on. And so listen to what Herod does in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star, and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were over Enjoyed. Now, here's what's really an interesting fact here. And this, of course, is a big kind of uh, initially people criticize this as being false or saying other people say, well, it's just a miracle. But what there is that stars have their own rotation, right? And depending upon where you're standing and where you're looking, they move in a specific direction over and over and over again. But what's really fascinating about it is this, is there is a phenomena called retrograde motion. What happens is if you're standing north of the equator, okay, and you're looking north, what happens is the star will come up, right? It will rise, it moves across the horizon. You'll see it in the sky moving across. And then what happens is when it gets back to the point of origin, it stops and it appears to move backwards for a period of time, for usually a week or two, and then it stops and then it resumes back forward again. And this little time period is called retrograde motion. And this is a fascinating thing that uh, uh, is a part of this story because these magi are following stars. And it's not just, uh, I think it's, it's not a... I want to get a cartoonish thing that you watch on TV where this star's moving all over the place. These guys have been navigating for thousands of years across the deserts of Northern Africa and the Middle East and all these areas, you know, there's very little way to navigate except by the stars. Yeah, because you're in a desert that has very little landmarks to be exactly utilizing. Just like on the sea. Right. How would you navigate? Well, that's how they did it. Is they been, so this so so this wasn't a a, a a comical thing or a side odd duck sort of a thing. They were navigating by stars. They navigated from the east all the way to the west. They got to where they were supposed to go. There are no compasses back then. There are none of these things. So they used the stars to navigate there. And then once they get there, they continue to follow the stars, one star in particular, and it rests over Bethlehem and retrograde action. It kind of goes backwards a little bit, stops, and then it moves forward again. And that's what they saw. Mm. And so I think that's just a really interesting phenomena. So these Magi 
follow this star to mm-hmm. Bethlehem, to yes. where the child was born. Yes. What do they do when they get <laughs> what there? They, like, what's they the... take a shower because yeah. they're road weary. No. Well, here's what's really interesting. Verse 11 says, on coming to the house, so... You know, Bethlehem is not this massive, bustling metropolis, you know, so most people know that who's there and who's not. This is some period of time after the baby was born because... Unlike most nativities, they're not there the night of. The right? night of, The no. shepherds show up and they're like, hey, we're here. But hey, the, it's but crowded in here. Later, yeah. Right? yeah, it's not a nativity scene, unfortunately, but uh, the Magi, could, he could have been one year old, almost two years old, and we'll see why in a moment. But what happens is they show up and it says they opened, it says they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now it specifically states that they worshiped him, but for what it doesn't say. It doesn't actually say, well, they worshiped him as God. They just said they worshiped him. So we don't know if they were saying he is a God, if he is a person of royal lineage right. or what. It just says they bowed down and honored him. Um, then they gave gifts. They gave him pretty significant gifts, gold, uh, which we all know what gold is. They also gave him frankincense. And this is also known as uh, alabanum. And what it is, is it's a resin that is harvested from the Baswalia tree. Did you catch that? Baswalia. I'd actually look that one up. Olibanum. Yeah. We're using three large words here. Frankincense, also known as... Olibanum. Olibanum. Mm-hmm. It's a resin. from the... Baswilia. Baswilia tree. Yes. It's very uh, aromatic. Uh, I, I think a way is it's a sweeter form of like eucalyptus. You know, they put eucalyptus on your chest, like vapor rub, right. you know, and it just, woo, it has that really pugent effect. It's like similar to a smelling salt, but this was much more sweeter and attractive, but it had the same effect. And so it was a resin. It primarily was used for healing, like like a Vicks vapor rub and other things like that. Uh, the reason why I think they brought that gold, obviously, travels really well. You throw it in your bag, it's exactly the right. same forever. Uh, resin really travels well in heat. So in really hot climates, you can put it in a bag, wrap it in a cloth, a cheesecloth or something of that nature, and it will stay pretty much the same. It doesn't, you know fall apart and you have to realize they didn't have glass vials back then right it was either clay or leather or cloth that they wrapped things in well and my understanding too is this if they came from these uh eastern countries right and so my understanding too is that was something that they kind of were well known for like it's a it's a valuable gift from their area right yeah and and it had value that's the key it was a huge value and Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't frankincense used in like the the uh, um, temple for like anointing oil or something of that nature? Like yeah. It was, well, it's it used. Was, it was used. It was burned in a canister like incense. So in to, the temple, though, in right? the temple, yeah. So that was. It also has kind of that a deep thing spiritual too, where, meaning, yeah. Where where God said, "Hey, you should mm-hmm. be using this," and so it it happened to also align. So it had religious, it had religious, yeah, connotations to it. And then myrrh, which is really interesting. The third one is the same thing. It's a, but it's a gum resin extracted from 
uh, a bunch of different smaller thorny bushes or tree type things, you know, scrubby things. Uh, it's uh, it's called, I have to look this one up too, it's called Genus uh, Comophora. Okay. So starting with the C, so Comophora. And it was a gum-based resin, but it was used in, in various ways. All three gifts, though, in that world had value. They had, uh, uh, they traveled well, um, and they were given for specific reasons, one of which, you know, it had these spiritual connotations to it. So they, these things were given as gifts, and most likely what they did is they funded their, the flight of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to Egypt, and then their eventual roundabout trip back home. So they, may have, they probably used these gifts. Yes, absolutely. Again, not necessarily a coincidence that they suddenly had these gifts that could help them fund their retreat, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, you know, like you said, they're symbolic in nature. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I just did some some studying on this for our Advent series. I had one of these verses talking about the mm -hmm. gifts that the Magi gave. And so I want you to kind of expand on it. You probably have way more knowledge than I did in my two minutes of brief internet <laughs> research that I did for Advent. But talk about some of the symbolic aspects of these gifts and how they maybe f fulfilled prophecies or, or why did Matthew spend so much time writing yeah. about it? Like he could have very easily have just said, Hey, magic showed up and gave him some gifts the end, but he yeah. typically in the Bible, because paper was so expensive, yes. you only write things that are important, very right? important. Like, that, like you don't just write superfluous information. So mm -hmm. if they included these very specific things as these were three gifts that were brought, that need to be written down and, and notated in Matthew's biography. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, I think if we apply Occam's razor and this is a, 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 a scientific philosophy, Okay, Occam came, he was a scientist. He said, look, when you're looking at a situation, the, the simplest explanation tends to be the truth. Okay. In other words, the simplest explanation is the one that usually turns out after you test it to be the right one. So keep, start there. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, is, keep is, it. Is, yeah, kiss it. Keep it simple, stupid. And I believe the reason why Matthew included it was because of various reasons. Number one, practically, it shows confirmation that Jesus was the Messiah uh, from other cultures. Their outside culture came in and saw this. So it wasn't just Jews, but it was people who weren't even Jewish who recognized this. In Genesis chapter 12, it says in the original commission or covenant that God set up with Abraham, he said, I will bless you to become a great nation, the nation of Israel. I will bless you in order to bless all the other nations of the world. Mm. And so what, what Matthew is attempting to do is he's trying to say, look, uh, if you ever remember, Matthew was a Levite and he's writing specifically to convince the Jews that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. And Levites were the priests. At the the time, priestly right? class of the Israelite nation. Okay. So it was one of the tribes. And what's fascinating about it is that very early on, he's saying, look, the original commission, our original covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which is the lifeblood, a foundation of all Judaism, was that we were blessed to be a blessing. And this is what has come out of us. And other nations see it and recognize it as well. Mm. It shows, I think the other reason he included it is it shows the fragility of the Messiah, right? And, and that the Messiah came in humility. 
how, how a young family had to rely on the generosity of strangers in order to survive, mm. right? To navigate yes. this. And, and yet God brought all these things together for that purpose. Third, it's one of the reasons why the celebration of Christmas is about gift giving. It starts very early on saying at the very birth of Christ. And when he was a young child, uh, there, the, the, the people who are a part of the church who accept Jesus as a Messiah are the most generous people that have ever existed. Mm. It's because of their generosity that they live so sacrificially that they basically, uh, in the second, third century, they, uh, there was a massive outbreak, a plague in Rome. And up to that point, Christians were very, uh, persecuted and brutalized. And what happened is a lot of people think it was either measles or smallpox is that if you got infected, your family would abandon you. It didn't matter who you were. If you're part of the emperor's family or wealthy family or poor family, they didn't care. People were so afraid of it. And yet the Christians went out out of generosity, out of gift giving and out of sacrifice, they went and ministered to all those people. Right. And after that, it was really hard to persecute them because everybody owed them a debt of gratitude. Right. And in the same way, Christianity grows when Christians are generous. When Christians are stingy or Christians are like, oh, I want to hold on to what I've got. When Christians don't give, when Christians don't tithe, when Christians aren't generous, Christianity, the core, the whole point of it seems to shrivel up because mm. it just becomes an empty form. Right. The heart and soul of it was Christ came to give himself, give up himself for us. The Magi come and give gifts. It's all about this giving, you right. see, just generosity. So that's one of the, some of the significant reasons of why I think that Matthew includes all of it. So, so what happens next in the text? So they deliver all these gifts. What do we happen? What happens next? Well, in verse 13, it gets even another twist. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up. Take the child and mother and escape to Egypt. Now, Matthew writes it this way because he's not saying, hey, pack your bags, take your time, lay out a plan, get ready. He says, go. Go now. Go now. And there's no plan. There's no nothing. But if you have gold, frankincense, and myrrh in your bags, what are you thinking? I'll work it out when I'll I get there. I'll work it out when I get there. <laughs> so it allowed him to flee immediately, okay? It says, the angel then says, stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child in order to kill him. Verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night. So that night they, they pack up and go left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I will call my son. So see, mm. here's, see what, what is Matthew doing, he's tying all of these Old Testament prophecies saying, look, Jesus fulfilled this one and this one and this, this one, one and, and this, this yeah. one and this one. How can you deny he is the Messiah? And guess what? Matthew was so convincing. That's why they started to persecute these apostles because they couldn't argue against it, there right? too much proof. Yeah, they were trying to cancel him early on. And then verse 16, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, this wouldn't take very long, right? right. Wouldn't take very long. You know, it's in a period of three to four weeks at the longest. It says, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. So this is how we know that when the Magi showed up, it wasn't on the night he was born. And we're thinking he was, Jesus was somewhere between one year old and two years old when the Magi showed up and gave their gifts. And because 
Herod says, kill them all. And so there was a genocide ordered by Herod. It says, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Now he, once again, another prophet. (laughs) Jeremiah says, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So, I mean, Herod's doing some pretty evil stuff at this point, right? He's ordering the murder of hundreds of children. Maybe thousands, we don't know, yeah. In this region for no other reason than to protect his claim of being the king of these people, right? Yeah, but everybody else who uh, wants to, you know, tries to thwart the plan of God or the design of God ends up dying. He died. Look at verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So we don't know how long they were in Egypt. It could have been a period of time, maybe two years, maybe one year, maybe five years. We don't know. Uh, we don't think it was too long uh, we, because he travels back to Israel. Now notice the angel doesn't tell him where to go in Israel. He just says, go back to Israel. Go back. Mm-hmm. So clarify something for me because isn't there references to a Herod during Jesus's ministry? Yes. Wasn't he the one that had John the Baptist imprisoned and mm-hmm. then his wife asked to behead him and he, so he yeah. has to behead him. And so if Herod died here, how's, how's he in two places at one time, <laughs> pastor? Well, what magic is this? What is this craziness? Well, the bottom line is, is that in the New Testament, there are actually six Herods. All okay. They're all related. That's so it's like John, the first John, the second John, the third, like yeah. John Jr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically, because it's a royal family, right? So, you know, Herod was... So similar to, like, Caesar, where they, yeah, where they used exactly. the same name? Okay. Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. So you had Herod the Great, okay? And he was the first one, and he ruled from 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. So he died before Christ was born. Okay. Pretty quick, all right? And so then there he had three sons. He had uh, Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and then Herod Philip the Tetrarch. Okay. Okay. And what's interesting is these three got a section of his domain. domain. Okay. Um, And he was allowed to be the king because he helped Rome put down a rebellion of the Jews. The original Herod. The original Herod, Herod the Great. So what he did is uh, Rome was faced with an uprising of of Jews, the, the Jewish nation, and then so what happened is they said, well, we need to put this down, but we, it's going to take a while to get our legions there because, you know, it takes a while. And then so Herod, he hired a bunch of mercenaries, and then he put it down. And so Rome said, well, what do you want? He goes, well, I want to be king of the Jews. And they said, okay, you're now king of the Jews. Okay. So that's why the Jews hated him so much is because he really wasn't he even was Jewish. That, he yeah. was the quote-unquote king of the Jews, even though he wasn't yeah. Jewish. And he had put yeah. down a rebellion to save them. Yes, so exactly. He was not well-liked. He was not well-liked. He, he was hated. So he dies, and then his empire is carved up into three sections. So it's still under Roman rule, right? But so there was Herod Archelaus, and he was one of Herod the Great's three sons. He received one half of his father's territory. And this is the area surrounding near Jerusalem, which is Judea and Samaria. Okay. Okay, And I think this is why Joseph and Mary didn't want to go back to uh, Bethlehem, because it was in that region of Judea, because uh, Archelaus was just like his father. He was 
pretty bad guy, okay. right? And then there was Herod Antipas. Jesus called him the fox, and he received a quarter of his father's territory. Then there was Herod the uh, Philip, the tetrarch. And then the great-grandson became Herod Agrippa the first, right? And he ruled from AD 37 to 44. He was the grandson, all right? And he was the one uh, uh, who was... Uh, uh, Herod Antipas's wife, okay, and child, uh, nephew named Herodias. Eventually, he ended up ruling over more territory than his grandfather, Herod the Great. And in the book of Acts, he's known as the one who put Peter in prison, although he couldn't keep him there, okay? Uh, verse, he also didn't give God the glory when he referred to as a god by the people of Tyre and Sidon. And so he was struck by an angel and eaten by worms. This is that guy. Okay. And then uh, that's the fifth one. The sixth one is Herod Agrippa II. Okay. So you have Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa II, and he ruled um, 8050s until long after the end of the Jewish War and Masada and all that stuff, the destruction of Titus, who was the son of Vespasian, the emperor, and then he became the emperor. So anyway, long and short of it, that you have six of them. And when, six Herods. Yeah. There's a whole lot of them, and they are all at different points, and that's why it can seem confusing when you're reading the New Testament. But uh, when Herod Archelaus, right, the first son, he didn't rule for very long from, you know, maybe two or three years. When he died, and this is why we say that he was only in Egypt for a period of time, is that's when he, uh, when he died, that is when Joseph and Mary returned, and they returned to Nazareth. Because look at verse 21 of chapter 2 of Matthew. It says, So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. So what is Matthew doing again to all of his Jewish he's, brothers? He's referencing yes. the old he text. would be called a Nazarene. The Messiah will be a Nazarene. And he comes out of Egypt, but he's born in Bethlehem. And so all of these people knew all of this stuff. And this is all going on. And so Matthew is trying to convince them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So Joseph and Mary finally come back home. They yes. go the long way to get there, <laughs> back yes. to Israel. But they do end up back home where this all started. Yes. And once again, showing us that the birth of Jesus was an invitation for all of us to come home, you know, go through all of this to fulfill all these prophecies and say, look, this invitation is authentic. It's real. Jesus is the one who can bring us back home to God. And so I think that's why the theme of our celebration this year is so significant because it's about coming home. And so much of what was happening in the fulfillment of all these prophecies was this process of Jesus. Jesus proving by fulfilling the prophecies that his invitation is real, it's authentic, and it's all about us ultimately spiritually coming home. Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing so much with us today about these scriptures. It, it brought a lot of clarity to some different things that I think we just gloss over, like you yes. know, the Magi and why their gifts are important and yes. when they got there and how they got there and you know the Herod thing. I think that's something that's very easy to get confused by. Be like, very easy. This Herod guy's around forever. <laughs> There's all this Herod going on. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing with us. I'm excited to see how we dive into this more in our application on Thursday and seeing mm -hmm. how we we discussed this and how it's applicable to us today. So thank you so much for our listeners for joining us today. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Merry Christmas.